if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Philemon. I was going to do an Easter, Easter message, but I'm like, this is the message of Easter. That reconciliation is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His power can restore that which you think could never be made a reality. And so as we're looking through this book of Philemon, little letter with a big message, real fellowship in Christ breaks through barriers to refreshing relationships with other people. That's been our theme. But here's what I want you to see from building on what we saw last week, and it's there in your notes. Removing roadblocks that you and I are responsible for is always possible. That is always possible. Removing the roadblocks that we're responsible for. But reconciliation is not always a possibility. The reason we can remove roadblocks is resurrection power. God has the power to change our hearts and enable us to remove the roadblocks that are in our hearts. The reason reconciliation is not always possible is because it takes two to tango. It takes two to reconcile, all right? And therefore, reconciliation is always risky business. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? You can build a bridge of reconciliation, but you can't force them to cross it. But here's the thing about a bridge. It goes two ways. So you can always cross over. You can always build that bridge and cross over. You just can't force that other person or group of people to meet you for reconciliation. And so let's look at verses 17 through 20. That's where we are in this little letter. Let's read that. I'm going to read it. You follow along in your Bibles and take note. It begins in verse 17 with the only the first command. He's written 16 verses, and now he finally reaches his command that he gives to Philemon. But it is a gracious invitation. If then you regard me a partner, accept him or receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. What a beautiful message. This is really the resurrection message. We think of resurrection as abstract, but the reality is resurrection meant reconciliation is possible. And that's what Paul is asking. So here's what I want to do this morning is look at three reasons why reconciliation is risky business. And I want to say to you, what we're doing is just like what we've been doing in this series. This is a how-to manual on reconciliation. So I'm really giving you steps and principles and attitudes for you to apply 
in your own life. And so it's going to be very practical because this book is very practical. So let's look at it. The first reason reconciliation is risky business but worth the risk is because the risk of rejection is great. The risk of rejection is great. And we see this in verse 17. Just because Paul says, if then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me, doesn't mean it necessarily happened. I mean, when you read that verse, the first thing that probably comes to your mind or ought to come to your mind, well, did he or didn't he? What happened? You know, it's kind of like the book of Jonah. You know, God confronts Jonah at the end of the story and then you're left wondering. And I think part of that reason of not seeing the rest of the story is to remind you and me, this question is always being asked of us. Will you accept others as I have accepted you? That's what Christ is always saying to us. And so notice the risk here. The, the, the risk was great for all three of these men. So we're going to look at each man. And you have on, your, on the table there, you have a chart that, that is the chart of Philemon. It's really an overview of our series. But remember these three men, rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub of trouble. And you've got Onesimus, who's the man in the mess, like the rest of us, the runaway slave. You have Philemon, who is the master, or is he? That's the question he has to decide. Am I going to rule my life, or am I going to let Christ? And then you have Paul, the man in the middle, who is a mediator like Christ. And so we're going to go through all three of these people, because each has a risk to face. So let's look at Onesimus. Onesimus takes the risk of returning to the scene of the crime. Returning, or you could say repenting, as the man in the mess. Here's the risk he's taking. Think about it. You're the runaway slave. You've stolen. You've you've done some wrong, some harm, and you're going back to the scene of the crime. How many of you think through a time where you've gone back and confessed your wrong to someone? And just think about what that was as you approached that person. And think of how you felt and what that was like. Would Philemon receive him or reject him? Would Philemon forgive him or take the opportunity to punish him or even punch him? Okay. Would Philemon release him or enslave him once again? None of this was guaranteed. Would Philemon love him? Or hate him? Would he tolerate him in his home? Uh, Maybe release him and let him be a part of the church, but always sit on the other side of the house? You know, you ever been in that situation where people go down one aisle of the church and, and you make sure you go down the other aisle so you don't have to encounter that person? We're talking real world stuff here. Onesimus had to risk getting what he deserved in order to get what he desperately needed but didn't deserve. And that was forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation always involves the risk of being rejected. And I told you last week, when I send someone back to do what I have done many a time, and that go to someone, admit I was wrong, ask for forgiveness, I always prepare them, you may be rejected. 
This is no guarantee. And I spent a lot of time processing with them. Here's what may happen. But remember your circle of responsibility. So let's look at this. Let's do it. How do we take the fear out of the risk of rejection? How do we do that? Well, first of all, number one, realize that God the Father always loves you. And his son has already forgiven you. If you have confessed, if you have repented, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So as you go to ask someone for forgiveness, as Onesimus goes to encounter Philemon, he goes knowing... I am forgiven because Paul has said he's already been converted. And the fact that he's going back shows that he is willing to own up to his sin. Hey, when Onesimus goes back, he's not going back to earn God's approval. He already has that in Christ. And when he goes, if Philemon rejects him, guess what? He doesn't lose anything that Christ has already given him. That's huge. No one can take from you what God has given to you, but God wants you to reconcile. Here's the second principle. Take the fear out of the risk. Remember your circle of responsibility. Your responsibility, mine, is to go and ask. Theirs is to forgive or reject. Don't worry about what you can't control. Number two, or number three, rest in the fact that their refusal to forgive is a rejection of Christ more than it is of you. If that person is a believer and you have humbly repented, humbly went and asked, and they refuse, you've got to give people time. We're not talking about, you know, you've got to give, it's a pro, remember we said it's a messy process. So you've got to give people time. But you've given them time and they are persistent in rejecting. Listen, if they're a believer, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And that puts you in good company. Yeah, but they're rejecting me too. Yeah, rejecting the Lord. You're in good company. For many a person has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ when he has offered his forgiveness to them. And so these are important remind, reminders. Jesus said that if you do it to one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. It's his authority. It's his grace they're rejecting. Paul said, I am sending you my very heart. And so if Philemon rejects Onesimus, he's rejecting Paul. And that's what Christ is doing for us. Christ is saying to us, go to people, make it right. And if they reject you, they're rejecting me. Because you are my very, very heart. That's just encouraging things. That's how you take the fear out of it. But there's three dangers you have to avoid as well. Because it's not just worrying about the other person. We have some responsibility when we go. So here's what I want you to see. Three dangers to avoid when you risk returning to ask forgiveness. So you're in the position of the man in the mess. And you're like, I'm wrong. I need to go and ask forgiveness. Three dangers to avoid when you return to ask for forgiveness. Number one, the fear of rejection. 
And that's what we've been, I, I, I hope I've helped you with that. Not taking the risk to ask out of fear. What if they don't forgive me? Okay, by now you should know. Not your circle of responsibility, right? So release the fear through the perfect love of Christ. Perfect love cast out all fear. Number two, avoid the danger of the desire to judge. What do you mean? I simply mean this. Assuming you know how they will respond. Hey, you should go and ask forgiveness. This is eating your heart. Your soul is being eaten alive with bitterness. You need to go and make this right. Okay? Well, what, what, what if... I already know how they're going to respond. No, you don't. But, oh, they have a pattern. They may have. But every new opportunity is new. Amen? And that's the resurrection. You never know when the resurrection power is going to change someone's heart. And so don't prejudge. It's not your responsibility to make choices for... See, if you don't go, assuming you know how they'll respond, you have chosen for them. Do you see what I'm saying? No, let them have the choice. You know, that's how God works in people's lives. When you go and when you do it biblically, not just say, hey, I'm sorry if, if I hurt you. That's how the politicians do it. That's how the world does it. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Then you put the burden on them to say, oh, no, you didn't hurt me. It's okay. But when you go and you say, I was wrong to do this, will you forgive me? And you stand and you wait. The, the weight is on them. And the Lord works through that. Now, will the, it, it will do one of two things. It will soften a heart or it will harden a heart. But that's what God, that's God's responsibility. And so I, that's a huge one. Don't make the choice for others. Let them have the choice. Number three, the need to control. Here's the idea of taking the responsibility for their response. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now you have to. <laughs> you must. <laughs> Why don't you? And, you know, really kind of putting that condition on it. It's not really, hey, will you, you know, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And I release. No, you have. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Our responsibility is to risk asking their responsibility is to risk forgiving. Reconciliation is risky business for the man who was master too. So the man in the mess had risk, but the man who was master had to take some risk too. Let's look at Philemon's risk. Philemon takes the risk of receiving. Paul says, receive him. That's just another way of saying forgive him. The risk of forgiveness is great. You ever had somebody ask forgiveness of you who is a serial offender? And you're like, I, just, I don't know. What is, this is risky business. So let's look at it. The risk, here's the, let me give you four scenarios. Here's the risk that Philemon, or that Philemon was taking. It's the risk that Onesimus might take advantage of him again in the future. He did me wrong once, he may, do, he may do me again. His repentance may not be genuine. But this is just a risk you have to take with people. Amen? 
You just got to risk that. How many times do you take this risk? That, that's the question, isn't it? But you're not the first. I'm not the first to ask that question. Who asked that question of Jesus? How many times do I take the risk? How many times do I forgive? Who asked that question? Who? Peter. Peter asked Jesus. Jesus, how many times do I forgive? And Peter thought he was being generous and gracious and suggested seven times the number of completion. And Jesus said, what? No, 70 times seven. In other words, an unlimited number. And here's the idea. As long as they're repenting, And humbly asking, we are to give forgiveness. You say, that just doesn't sound biblical. Well, how did it go for you last week? Did you sin last week? Well, you did just now if you said no, because you just lied. Did you sin last week? I'm not asking for an answer. Did you sin last week? And did you ask God forgiveness? And did you ask Him forgiveness for a sin that you have done Multiple times. The odds are that everyone in this room, if we confessed and asked forgiveness, asked forgiveness for something that we have done repeatedly. And you know what? We don't hesitate to even ask that. And we probably don't even question that we deserve being forgiven multiple times. But the reality is, we don't deserve to be forgiven multiple times. We didn't deserve to be given the first time. And yet the Lord graciously continues. And guess what? Unlike us, he knows exactly how many more times you're going to commit that sin. And he paid for it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Our sins were a crimson stain. He washed them white as snow. And he keeps washing them. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us. We should sin less. But don't hesitate to ask him forgiveness. But we should take the risk in forgiving repeat offenders. Now, again, I've said and I will say it again right now and hear me clearly. We are talking about a normal context of believers in sinning. And we're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about areas where you submit yourself to putting yourself in danger, to putting others in danger. We're we're not talking about those areas. Now, those areas still need forgiveness, and and the gospel applies to those areas. But don't, don't hear me saying something that I'm not saying. Boundaries are needed, right? But you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all the other stuff that we want to brush under the carpet in our marriages, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our families, and not apply these things. And these things are hard. I have lived it, and you have lived it, and we need to keep living it. Because we're living in times, folks, that aren't getting any easier. It's not getting any easier. But Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And that's why this is reality. The risk. Here's another risk. Philemon took the risk that Paul would no longer respect him if he rejected Onesimus. There would probably be consequences. He took the risk that the church would hold him accountable 
you know, after all, this letter is going to a church and he's already greeted people that are probably members of the church, but also members of his family. And, and he, he's like, well, if I do this, listen, no, no quicker way to lose the respect of other Christians than to be unforgiving. Because it's, 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 it's so out of character for a true Christian. And then the risk that God would discipline him for being unforgiving. Look, there's consequences to this. God doesn't grant us forgiveness and then close his eyes when we withhold it from others. Grace is the one thing all Christians want more of. And it's the one thing they withhold from others so often. So often. And it's so easy to do. What do all of these risks I've just shared with you have in common? It's the fear of suffering further loss. Now think about Philemon. He's in the right. And he has suffered loss. We don't know exactly what, but we know he has. And when you refuse to forgive, you're like, I've been hurt. I don't want to be hurt again. I've had loss. I don't want to suffer further loss. This has been painful. I don't want any more pain. So here's three points. How do we take the fear out of the risk of forgiving others? Three important principles. Number one, realize that God the Father is always ready to receive you. And His Son is always willing to forgive you repeatedly, even though he knows that you will sin again. So I've, I've hit on that, but dwell on that. This is how God treats us. We take this for granted. We assume we deserve it, but we don't. Number two, remember that you're to treat others the same way God has treated you. What a beautiful thought that we have a God who risks keep forgiving his wayward children. We should treat others the same way that God treats us in Christ. Number three, reflect on the fact that you have the divine resources to meet the deepest need of the person who has come to you. We've already talked about in the first lesson, grace and peace. God's granted you grace. Give it to others. He's given you peace. Make peace with those who have wronged you. So you, when, you, when we say as Christians, I can't, the, always the answer is twofold. You're right, but what? He can't. I can't. You're right. Let's sit on that for a little bit. Let's realize that for a little bit. But he can. Grace and peace. Perhaps the man who took the greatest risk of all was Paul himself, the man in the middle. Let's look at the risk Paul took. Paul takes the risk of reconciling, of peacemaking, of being the man in the middle of the mess, the mediator. In a sense, Paul's put all of his eggs in one basket, Onesimus's basket. He has sent Onesimus back on the basis of his confidence. Onesimus, 
you're going to be forgiven. Philemon, I'm confident in you. Basically, I'm banking everything on this working right. Now, think about what Paul has done. Paul has asked Philemon to receive Onesimus back as his own child, verse 10. My, he says, my child. Receive him as his own heart. I am sending you my very heart. And as his own self, receive him as you would me. Paul has put himself, he has risked his reputation. He has risked everything to put himself into that. Who does that remind you of? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his very son to reconcile with you. He sent his very heart. Dismiss this idea that God's the angry father, Jesus is the loving one, and even Jesus can be angry, so sometimes you got to go to Mary to make Jesus loving so Jesus can make the father. No, no. One God with the same heart. He sent everything you see in Je- Jesus was here to show us the father's heart. That's the story of the prodigal son. The father in that story is, is God the father. And then... He sent his own self because though there's three persons in the Trinity, it's one God. When Jesus came, God came. God the Father came. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. So how do we take the fear out of the risk of peacemaking? Three principles. Let me give them to you quickly. First of all, realize that you have been given both the message and the ministry of reconciliation. We won't take the time to read 2 Corinthians 5, but I will read these two verses. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus, okay, what we saw, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us this word of reconciliation that we get to proclaim. Reconciliation due to resurrection. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. That's our ministry. That's our calling. Why would we withhold that from one another? Okay. So there's the idea. Number two, remember that God the Father blesses those who are peacemakers. Why do I want to get involved in this? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. You're never more like God than when you try to reconcile people. Number three, rejoice in the fact that you are never more like Christ than when you seek to reconcile brothers. Here's what's beautiful about these verses that we're looking at this morning. It's almost impossible to separate Paul from Christ in these passages. Everything that Christ has done, 
Paul is doing. And everything that Paul is doing, Christ has done in a greater way. When you try to reconcile people, you are like Christ. So there it is. Risky business. The risk of rejection is great. What about the cost of reconciliation? The cost of reconciliation is high. It is costly. Verses 18 and 19. Look at verses 18 and 19. Notice them again. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you, as I'm about to mention to you, that you owe to me even your own self as well. There's business terms. Every term in here is a business term. A real life transaction that they would use in the marketplace. And he's applying that to the gospel. So, reconciliation has a price tag. And it's not cheap. Let's look at how each one would have to pay a price. Number one, Philemon will have to pay the price of reconciliation. What's the price of reconciling? You don't get back everything that you lost. That's the cost. Releasing the right to receive back all that the other person owes you. Because here's what happens. Somebody wrongs you. They owe you. You have two choices. I'm going to wait and make them pay me back. Or I'm going to release the debt. Yeah, but I already suffered loss. I want back what I lost. I want it back. That's the price of reconciliation. You release that demand. You release it. What had Philemon lost? He lost the uselessness of this slave that cost him in work and in time who was once unprofitable. He lost the services of his slave when he ran away, for perhaps he departed for a while. He lost due to the possible misdeeds when he left. But if he has wronged you, he lost due to possible theft or owes you anything. Paul is laying up and saying, hey, you have suffered loss. But to reconcile... You have to pay the price. You're not going to get it all back. You're not going to get it all back, and you're not going to wait to get it all back. For Philemon to forgive Onesimus meant releasing Onesimus from the debt he owed, and this is the very meaning of forgiveness. The biblical word for forgiveness is canceling a debt. Cancel it. Cancel it. Reconciliation means releasing the right to receive back all that the other person owes you. Jesus told a parable of, he said, my kingdom is like this. And in Matthew 18, he tells this parable and he says, this king settled accounts with his servants. And he came to this one servant and he says, hey, you, you owe me. You owe me. And the servant begged and said, please forgive me. Cancel my debt. Forgive me. And the king said, okay, I will. And then that forgiven person ran out to all the people that owed him money And he rang their necks and said, pay me back everything you owe me. And people said, hey, king, your servant's around here doing that. 
And the king went and took that guy and threw him in prison and didn't let him out until he paid all of his debt back to the king. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful story. You got to suffer loss. You got to suffer loss. What about Onesimus? Onesimus has a price to pay, and it's the price of repenting of what he has done. Listen, when people repent and ask forgiveness, they're not getting off scot-free. It's a humbling process. Right? It's a humbling process. The first thing that we notice in this letter, it's not so much about Onesimus repenting, it's about Philemon receiving. So you got to understand this letter. We're only getting one side of the story. Okay, so I'm not teaching you everything there is about reconciliation. That's why I keep telling you, okay, there's, you know, there's boundaries and there's, you know, there's a disclaimer here and there's a disclaimer. We're just getting one side of it. But Paul provides us with enough information for us and for Philemon to know that Onesimus is willing to pay the high price of repentance. And here's, here's what it looks like. Number one, confession. Admitting that he was wrong in what he did. You say, how do I know he confessed? Because he converted to Christ. And when you come to Christ, you've got to confess that you're a sinner. He accepted. And how do we know that he confessed? Because he's returning to the scene of the crime. He's not remaining running away. He doesn't. He does not return as a prisoner with an armed guard. He's freely going back. He doesn't return as a criminal with a police escort. He's just got Tickius with him. He doesn't even return as a runaway slave in chains. He's freely walking in because he's repented and he's not being forced. He's willingly making himself vulnerable because God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. Instead, you know how we know how he returned? Turn to Colossians 4.9. Turn to Colossians 4.9 because these two letters were written to the same place at the same time. So look at Colossians 4.9. You know, sometimes we think, oh, the only thing we know about Onesimus is from Philemon. No, look at 4.9. Paul is saying, hey, I'm sending Tychicus, our beloved brother, verse 7. I'm sending him back. But look at verse 9. And with him, Onesimus. You know, the runaway slave of Philemon in the church where you meet. He doesn't say that. He says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. Every converted Christian should be a church member. That's what he's saying. They will, they will inform you about the whole situation. He's, an equal, he's coming back. As a converted child of God and a son of Paul in the faith. He's coming back as a repented sinner and a redeemed saint. He's coming back as a changed man who's willing to confess. It's beautiful. Number two, consequences. Consequences. Onesimus is willing to suffer the penalty. He doesn't know he's going to be forgiven. Now he's banking on Paul. He's banking on Christ. 
He's banking on Philemon's reputation, but there's no guarantee. He is willing to take his punishment, and it could be execution. Why? Because he knows he deserves it. And forgiveness doesn't mean you don't deserve consequences. There may be consequences. Number three, contrition. The attitude of the heart. Contrition. Being willing to sacrifice what he desires in order to make things right. Where did Onesimus want to be? Where did Onesimus want to be? With Paul ministering to Paul like he had been doing. He wanted to be there. Where did Paul want him to be? With him. What are both of these men doing? They're sacrificing their desires for how things ought to be to make things right. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's all there. Confession, consequences, contrition. Onesimus is paying the price. And yet, Onesimus was never more free and never more a servant of Philemon than when he came back and said, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Beautiful, beautiful. What about Paul? What price would Paul have to pay? Paul would have to pay the price of redeeming the debtor and repaying the debt. Now, you, you got Paul's the man in the middle who is like Christ. Has Paul done anything wrong? No. Is this Paul's mess to clean up? No. Does Paul have his own problems to be thinking about? Where is Paul? He's in prison. He could be executed. He could be saying, this is a big prayer request about my needs. And instead, and and was Paul a man of wealth? No. No, he was like his savior. He was dependent on the hospitality of others. And yet, what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying... I will pay the price to redeem him, and I will repay his debt to you. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. It is nearly, in verses 18 and 19, the last barrier is being broken through. The last barrier is, what about restitution? What about payment for what I owe? And you can't, it is nearly impossible to distinguish between Paul and Christ in these verses. That's how Christ-like he is. And in these verses, Paul makes four powerful promises to pay the price of the whole mess. Notice what he says in verse 19. Or I'm sorry, verse 18. If, I, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that to my account. Wrong always leads to debt. The wages of sin is always a debt we can never repay. And Paul says, put it to my account. Second promise, verse 19. I, Paul, am writing you with my own hand. I will repay. And in those days, that's how you wrote out a legal IOU. He's saying, I am writing this. It's, it's like signing a contract. He says, I will repay. Third promise, not to mention to you that, 
but I'm going to mention it. You owe me even your own self as well. In other words, Onesimus is not the only debtor in this relationship. You, Philemon, owe me. And I never demanded payment back. Promise number four, verse 20. Yes, brother. It's not really a promise. It's it's an anticipation. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you. Let me have benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Oh, refresh my heart. Who's he talking about? His heart or what did he say earlier? I'm sending you my very heart. Who was he talking about? So when he says refresh my heart, it's a little play on words, folks. Refresh my heart as you refresh the heart of my heart, Onesimus. You see, when we forgive people, God, we are refreshing God's heart. We are bringing joy to Him. We are bringing benefit to Him. Isn't that beautiful? Now, here's what I want you to see. Look at this next slide. Christ is all over those verses. We owe a debt we can never pay. And Jesus says to the Father, put that to my account. Put it down to my account. He paid a debt he didn't owe. Jesus says, I will repay. Good Friday, tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished, paid in full. We owe him our lives. And we owe others the love he has shown to us. Jesus says, you owe me even your own self. How dare you withhold forgiveness, my forgiveness, that I have freely poured out on you. How dare you withhold that? We ought to do for others what has been done for us. Jesus is saying to you this morning, Let me have benefit. Let me have joy. Refresh my heart because that believer who has wronged you and you guys are out of whack, you are my heart. You are my heart. See, we 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 got to see this from God's perspective. Amen. And you say, Chris, how, how is this possible? Resurrection. It's all a reality. Because this, this isn't make-believe religion. This isn't from Muhammad or Buddha or Joseph Smith. This isn't from your Aunt Jody or whoever they are or Mama Betsy or whatever or Papa Joe. This is reality in history. It has been done. All that's left is for you to receive it if you have not this morning. And I make no presumptions. You can be in church a thousand times. And you can wear a tie like only Dane and I have on today. I did this for you, Dane. Well, I'm sorry. Paul has the full armor on today. He has the full suit. Oh, oh, Mr. Ruckel, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So there's many of us. But only Paul has the full armor of God on today. Listen, you can do all that. And you can 
go to hell an unreconciled man or woman. Because you got to go to him. This is what I talked last week about conditional forgiveness. All this was done unconditionally. All this was done unconditionally. But there is a condition. You've got to return to the scene of the crime. You've got to come to the foot of the cross. And you've got to say, I am guilty. I owe it. I don't deserve it. I can't come here with an ounce of saying, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, my goodness, I'm better than my neighbor. None of that matters because we are all runaway slaves. And we come. And so we, we, we are Onesimus, the man in the mess. That's the rest of us. And we are Philemon who think we are the masters of who gets forgiven. And we're not. And we got to come to the man in the middle. We've got to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I, to me, that's a pretty good Easter message. Break through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. I'm sorry. I do like that song. Break on through. Break through. Do you know, Gwen? Do you know? The doors. Come on. Break through. Break through to the... Gwen's a big Doors fan. Gwen's, Gwen, Gwen used to listen on the radio to the Doors when she wasn't supposed to. No, she listened to all 80s, 70s music. If the 70s commercial for you know, CDs come on, we have to stop for a moment so Gwen can sing a little bit. But break on through to the other side. Break through. And guess what? Break through to bring others with you, right? So, let's look at it. The last point is simply this, and it's a MasterCard commercial. The return of refreshment is priceless. The return on, of refreshment is priceless. Why should I do this? Because it will refresh your heart, it will refresh their heart, and it will refresh the heart of our Savior Reconciliation is risky business, but the returns are out of this world. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now look at the application. The return on Onesimus' risk. He would be released and returned to fruitful service. Will you risk being rejected to receive release for your wrongs? The return on Philemon's risk. His Reconciliation and reception of a beloved brother, not just a slave, like order him around. No, a brother to worship with. Will you give the refreshment of forgiveness on this Easter? And then finally, the return on Paul's risk, rejoicing and refreshment in others' reconciliation. Isn't this good? I love the book of Philemon. We're almost done. Glad you guys came in for the end of it. We're almost done. We'll, next week, we'll wrap this book up. But it's okay. You can read it in four minutes or less. Okay, Take you a little longer to listen to the previous six lessons, but that's all right. Let's apply this. Amen? I don't know what you're doing for Easter, and I don't know if you've got a broken heart. I don't know if you're... Yeah, I was talking to uh, somebody in our church uh, yesterday, and I said, what are you guys doing tomorrow? 
Well, we're gonna, I'm trying to get my family together. I said, well, you know, we want to go eat. And uh, I said, well, are, have they, are you going to? Well, they haven't, I haven't heard back. You know, and it just you know, made me sad, you know. But that's reality. And you know what? That's okay if you know Christ. If you know Christ, it's okay because he'll never reject you. And you can celebrate his resurrection. Or maybe you're going to be with family and they're not believers. And it's going to be awkward because it always is when you get together. That's okay too. Because whatever's going on, you have a father who's already forgiven you. And you've got a savior who counts you as his very heart. Amen. It's a good thing today. And with the resurrection, you never know what tomorrow may hold. Because his power can make the dead alive and soften the hard and change the unrepentant. And here's the proof of it right here. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your abundant graces. Thank you for the little letter of Philemon. Where would we be without the gospel? Where would we be without your son? Where would we be without your father's heart? Where would we be without the spirit making it reality in our lives? Lord, we rejoice in our reconciliation on this Resurrection Sunday. May we go forth, not just today, but this week, being messengers and ministers of reconciliation. In Jesus' name.